first time ever. Hear you loud and clearly. Uh, and it was going place. That stuff's great. But the game is not a roguelike. Boomer shooter. Bang. Hello, this is John St. John, and you're listening to KWEP In The Keep, bringing you all the hits from the finest in the world of gaming and entertainment. Now sit back and relax as the drowned god Cathala lulls your mind with the tastiest talk in town. Welcome, Welcome to, to In The show. Keep with your host, Richard, the fear merchant, the curator of the void, the librarian of the drowned god Cthulhu. Uh, with very special guest today, uh, the Motherload uh, for the simulcast with the Bizarre Cast. Uh, the Motherload, welcome to your own show. <laughs> okay. The Bizarre Cast features <laughs> adult themes and language that you may not find suitable for small children. Um, I am your host. The Motherload, Ty Brannan, and I will be interviewing today the wonderful Mr. Richard Martin of In The Keep Podcast. How are you today? I'm absolutely fantastic. A pleasure to be in my own home. I am uh, I am really, really well. It's uh, It's been a hell of a day, but I'm happy to be spending the, the end of it or maybe the middle of it. Who knows how long I'll be up with you. I've been looking forward to this for like, what, a week now? Something like that? Yes, yeah. So, it's hard. It's hard with the time zones. Uh, for those who listen to me a lot, uh, I'm based down in Australia, uh, an Irishman down under, and yeah, I like to make podcasts in my spare time for the last almost five years in November. So ha- have a bit of a birthday coming up. I should be kind of well past pre-K and uh, in school at the moment. If a podcast was a little human being. <laughs> It's definitely my baby. Uh, Toy, would you like to uh, introduce yourself to the Bizarre Cast crew? Yeah, I just burned myself with coffee, so it might sound a little funny as I do so. But uh, yeah, so I'm I'm Ty. I am, I guess, professionally known as the Motherload. It's just because that's that was my Quake tag, and it, it stuck. And I, for some reason, when I first started podcasting, I thought it was important to protect my identity as if that would ever work, uh, being on camera and doing other stupid shit. I am the founder and CEO of In The Keep, which is a small blossoming uh, game studio slash publisher. And we obviously produce lots of content related to games like videos and podcasts and all that kind of shit. Um, uh, Up until recently, I was professionally also a meteorologist full time um, working with the Air Force. So that's a part of my life that I'm now finally getting to shut the door on and move on. And I have recently started full-time as a producer with 3D Realms. So uh, there's probably some other stuff I'm missing. My, my LinkedIn profile is awful. Like, <laughs> but there's, that's there's just a bit. Definitely plenty to dig into there, uh, given you are the mother load. Uh, well, that's the mother load L-O-A-D. It's not... L-O-D-E. <laughs> oh, you, you caught on to that. That's, that's very, very observant of you. Because yes. I, I was going to say, I'm going down this rabbit hole the last few months. Um, the mother load of content is definitely coming from the Doom community at the moment. The last couple of episodes I've had I definitely have a thread line uh, to them. And they've led me to yourself today now. Well, more you, you've actually come to, 
the my doorstep, which is unusual for the bizarre cast. I'm usually the one out with my pickaxe looking for the next mud load. Well, I I saw, I guess it was on Twitter or something that Bridgeburner was on your podcast, and my honestly my gut reaction was like, who the fuck is this guy? That's my guest. Like I'm just kidding, but you uh, can we curse on your show? Yeah, I yeah. Think I said that we use foul language. <laughs> we but do. I there, there I is foul language. Call you saying lots of it in the interviews that I've listened to. Regardless, yes. Yeah, I saw that one and I was like, wow, that's cool. Bridgebender did a podcast on someone else's platform, that motherfucker. So I went and I listened to it and it was amazing. And then lo and behold, shortly thereafter, you had uh, John Romero on, which was also a really fantastic interview. We said this a little bit beforehand, but I really admire the fact that you didn't do the very painful rehashing of okay, what was it like when you made Wolfenstein? What was it like when yeah, you made yeah. Doom? And that, who cares? But it was so good. Then I ended up going back and listening to a few more. I'm, I'm about halfway through your interview with Stephen Kick right now. And uh, I also admire the fact that many of your guests are not like what you'd call really famous people. You know, sometimes mm-hmm. it's just like, oh, I'll interview the guy who makes t-shirts in town or whatever. And like, that's yeah. awesome. That to me is like so much more interesting than just, hearing the same rehashing of the same interview that some famous guy has done a hundred times and doesn't care to hear, you know, yeah, that, the, the same questions anymore. <laughs> He's done. That's definitely part of the philosophy uh, of the bizarre cast. So I can give you maybe a little bit of a history lesson if anyone cares to listen to us yeah. today. Um, so it started off like you obviously saw on Twitter, it's the fear merchant is the handle there. And I introduced myself. Um, so that came, we'll, cast ourselves back to uh, 2015 uh, self and a few friends are uh, live streaming on a Ustream. I think that's now defunct. I haven't heard of that in a while. Right. Uh, some resident evil. And we were talking about resident evil um, four and we we're like, Oh, that guy, the merchant in that is like, Oh, he's like the fear merchant. Oh, a very nice tattoo there <laughs> of umbrella. Um, and we were like, Oh, that guy's the fear merchant. And I was like, wow, that just has a ring to it. Um, so I said, yeah, look, let's make a Twitter, the fear merchant. And every time we're streaming, we'll tweet out, blah, blah, blah. And then it kind of started like taking legs from there. Um, this, uh, horror outfit in the UK, um, was a publication. They were looking for new writers to review right. movies and books and everything. So I was like, oh, Hey, I know you're looking for people in the UK. What about Ireland? And they're like, yeah, the more, the merrier, you know, uh, send us um just do a review of something and we'll read it and see how you get on so i was like yeah look so then i started um doing reviews uh, but he was like look no one wants to review any of the independent stuff for the short movies right. would you be interested in doing that and i said yeah i'll do that so for maybe six months seven months i was you know interviewing or not interviewing uh, writing about all these really good short stories and short movies. And I was like finding the people on Twitter and tagging them when their reviews came up and they were like, Oh, thank you very much. You know, they're like they were all getting exposure. Right. And I was listening to a few podcasts and I was like, God, these guys sound like really shit. I, I could do something better. So then I was like, all right, so I'm the fear merchant. So I was like, what could it be? And I was like, the bazaar it's like the fear merchants bazaar so it was meant to be like a place where people would show off their wares and it was meant to be like an independent 
curator uh, creator podcast so it was like the bizarre cast is where people come to meet and share their ideas so for the first uh, in november then i had such a back catalog of potential guests from doing the reviews uh i pretty much had the next year uh of content so for two years straight i was doing independent horror creators um like music um tv shows you name it i was getting people out in front and then i I moved down to australia and i sort of began to drop the fear merchant part and just became the bizarre cast yeah Uh, and i got a co-host then in australia because i couldn't do um as frequent it was every two weeks like clockwork and had a co-host for a while we really tried to push the boat out there um we ended up disbanding that outfit and then for the last two years i've been taking it at my leisure and releasing when i see fit and when guests are fit to chat with like yourself so that's a, yeah. a short history lesson of uh the bizarre cast and where it got its name um so what about in the keep would you like to give a brief history lesson well as, as you saw before we started recording i couldn't even tell you what year it started but uh yeah so <laughs> <laughs> i I started in the keep as a discord server that's sole purpose was to, you know, network with people who wanted to play quake and to kind of be able to quickly ping and be like, let's, you know, find a match with someone who's not a dick, which is hard to find on in online gaming and uh, who's willing to either teach or, you know, at your skill level so you could play. Um, and I was so obsessed with quake at this time. This isn't about, maybe 2018 late 2017 early 2018 when this really kind of kicked off because quake champions had just come out Mm. and i i was i've always been a huge podcast nut ever since podcasting really became a thing i'm I'm a huge fan of joe rogan at the time i was very into the art of wrestling with colt cabana and you know mark Marin, all the greats you know every everybody that's ever uh kicked ass and took names but i found this small podcast called the state of quake was hosted by two wonderful fellas named they go by unkind and slip. Okay. And it was sort of a, not really, they did a couple of interviews, but it, it, it was exactly what it sounds like the state of quake. What are the newest updates? What's going on? What are the changes to the characters? Blah, blah, blah. And they were really, really good. They've just dove into every detail and they were really fucking entertaining. Like just, uh, I remember slip being one of the funniest people I'd ever heard. And I'd also never heard a, uh, a professional uh, broadcaster who had it as as deep a Southern accent or worse than mine. Right. So it was You're not like, too bad. <laughs> I can definitely understand you. Right. Uh, I've tailored it over the years for sure. I've, I've definitely evolved into a, a better public speaker than I was uh, maybe five, six years ago, but they, they were so damn good, but they were really bad at turning out content on time. And I was, they were also putting on tournaments and I was playing in a lot of them and, you know, just trying to learn the game because I was kind of a newcomer, at least to like proper quick playing. I had tooled around, but I didn't even understand strafe jumping or anything at the time. So they were teaching me how to rocket jump and all this kind of crazy, you know, all the fun things about quake. Um, and I got to know them pretty well. And I just, couldn't stand that every week my favorite podcast wasn't putting out an episode. So, and I, we were networking so well, we knew so many people. I was like, why don't we do like interviews? If you guys can't be in this, you know, 
in the same place to record an episode every week, like just do some interviews with different people and it could be either of you. And then that wasn't going to happen. So then I was like, well, what if I did it and I just send you the audio file and you package it up and send it out as a podcast. And then they were like, yeah, sure. Fuck it. We'll do that. So I did that for, I think five episodes mm-hmm. um, before I just couldn't handle not being in complete control of it. Yeah. <laughs> so I know the and, feeling. Uh, so I requested that unkind send me all of the MP3s from the prior episodes and we did like a quick handover. I very quickly learned how to use basic editing tools and in the keep was born and I just went nuts with it. And uh, it started off primarily about arena FPS, like quake unreal. I think I had open arena dusk world when that first came out, like people who played those games. Um, But you know, the well runneth dry on arena FPS and then I started getting people from the like the boomer shooter community reaching out like, Hey, you want to interview me? I'm like, fuck yeah, I do. Who cares? And then it just transitioned from there into a full on just general indie gaming podcast. And I'm, that's one thing that I really admired about what you were saying a few minutes ago is that you, you have pivoted your brand multiple times into like whatever you were interested in. And I found that very difficult at first because I kind of built an audience on first person shooters and then I felt guilty if I wanted to talk about, you know, RTS or just horror in general or whatever. And I've completely shed that fear now, but at the yeah. time it was like, I, you know, I don't want to alienate my core audience. And I was the same job. Of, yeah. yeah. But I actually felt like there wasn't much of a, a fall off when it was changing. Cause as I was saying to you off air before we started, like, I think if people want to listen to you and they find what you say interesting, it doesn't matter if you're talking about how to cut your grass, um, as long as you're captivating enough, people uh, might just go over and listen. Um, you know, some people just, they're not even listening for the content. Like I listen to a lot of podcasts just before going to bed, just for like white noise. Uh, I don't even exactly. mind if people are listening to me to go to sleep. Maybe they find my voice uh, very droney and boring. That sends them right to sleep. And the more the merrier, I can pivot into a mindfulness podcast next week if uh the sponsorships for like headspace or something not sponsored by the way <laughs> guys <laughs> um come my way um yeah i definitely had the same fear um because i don't know you just get into a pattern uh especially if you're like regular you're like i gotta do it for the fans but unless you have hundreds of thousands of dollars on the line to like get podcasts out i think everyone needs to take a chill pill because you know everyone and their mother has a podcast now i feel like at the time five years ago um Everyone had a podcast then, but even the cats and dogs have podcasts now. It's like everyone is doing one. So I'm like, oh, look, you know, whoever wants to listen, listens. And um, that's just kind of how it goes. But Ty, uh, you are older than three years old. So (laughs) maybe give your audience uh, a little bit of a background into yourself before the podcast. You were mentioning you're in the Air Force. So maybe... um, tell us a story sow the seeds where where does this baby tie to teenager tie uh where does that all go okay this is uh awkward because i have i don't think i've ever openly addressed the military to my audience before we're getting the scoop today we're getting the scoop yeah this is here you go this is your big scoop i've kept a secret from all of you this entire time uh because like i said i i 
just didn't feel comfortable talking about the military. I didn't want that to be my identity, you know? And I also didn't want to get a knock on the door from public affairs being like, Hey, you're cussing a lot. We don't want the people thinking that airmen or whatever. And that was a bit of a thing. But it's like, those are the sailors, I, son. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Um, no, I, I, uh, I grew up in a small town in Alabama, just north of Mobile. If anyone's ever heard of Mobile, it's a port city in the southern. It's the left pussy lip of Alabama, if you're looking at it. <laughs> Is that how people and talk about Alabama in Alabama? That's how I talk about it. <laughs> <laughs> so, and uh, it was kind of a, you know, really redneck <laughs> kind of life for the first uh, 10 years or so until I became a teenager. And then I started getting into hard rock and heavy metal. And then I became like the, the weird fucking goth guy walking down the street next to a bunch of cornfields and, and pine forests and stuff like that. And, uh, th- there was a lot, and I don't want to go into my whole life story there, but I, uh, I grew up very, I wouldn't say isolated, but I was a very introspective kid and in that I rejected all things authority. And I was a shitty teenager and I made my mom cry a lot. Um, but she still loves me and I still love her very much and we're much better now. Uh, by the time I was 17, I had decided that I wanted nothing more in the world than to be a professional wrestler. So I committed every ounce of uh, all my college money, every bit of it. I went to train under Mr. Curtis in Atlanta for like a week just to get an introduction. And then I hired a full-time trainer back in my hometown. Uh, his name was the Gothic Warrior, Dalton Cross. And Very uh, on brand for you at the yeah. time. <laughs> And I, I wanted to be CM Punk so bad I could I could taste it. <laughs> and I, I wrestled all over the Southeast. Um, and Georgia, well, not Georgia. I didn't really have any matches in Georgia. Northern Alabama, Florida, um, Southern Mississippi. Never made it anywhere or did anything super special. But I had a lot of fun and I learned a lot about life doing that. And I did that until I was about 20 years old. Uh, I got hit in the head with a steel chair. One time it really cracked me open, had some staples in the head, you know, a little bit of a concussion there. And I had to, I had a, I had to make a decision about like, is this really going to be a career for me? And uh, meanwhile, I had also taken on an apprenticeship with a, an electrician, so I was doing that and uh, hating it, getting underpaid. I, I loved my boss, but I hated everyone else that I worked with. They were just the trashiest trash human beings mm. I've ever met in my entire <laughs> life. Right. <laughs> and uh, fuck all of you, you suck. And that made me just, I, I was looking for any route out of that job. So I joined the Air Force. Um, I tested really well on the, you know, the initial ASVAB scores. And they wanted me to be a crypto linguist, which is essentially someone who learns a foreign language and, you know, then, like, I guess spies on the people who speak that language who may or may not be uh, bad guys. Okay. And I thought that sounded really dope. So I, my first, you know, trip after basic training was straight to Monterey, California at a place called the defense language institute and i was assigned um to learn the iraqi dialect of arabic and it was a brand new program um generally speaking people just learned modern standard arabic and or levantine arabic which is more like you know the levant yeah and i epically failed like i I did so poorly in school that you know about five or six months in they sat me down they're like uh we might need to find another path i was like i agree i completely i had been already going to my first sergeant you know every week and be like you got to get me out of this shit i can't do this anymore and he's just like just plug it through until they decide to let you go that way it doesn't look like you quit 
mm. which was great advice. He was, he was absolutely right. And, uh, so they reassigned me to weather. And when I got to weather, I felt like, you know, science was probably more my speed anyway. I still love linguistics and all, but at the speed that they wanted you to learn it, I could not, it was like drinking from a fire hose. Mm. So, uh, yeah, I go to weather school for eight, nine months, uh, very fast paced <laughs> program. And, uh, I did okay. And then I got into the career field itself. You know, once I got stationed here in Arizona and I, I wouldn't say I loved the job, but I definitely loved the, uh, the science of it and being able to draw meteorological charts and analyze fronts and, uh, tell the future. Like that all felt really, really cool and powerful. And, uh, so that's been the past four years of my life is doing that. And, uh, while the job itself made me miserable with the shift work and the blah, 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 everything else going on, I needed a hobby. So I started playing games and I started a podcast and then a, a company. And then now here we are talking. <laughs> so. Amazing. That was a very succinct uh, life story there. Appreciate that. Yeah. Um, what about you, man? Yeah. Like, I mean, I won't lie. Like I had a fairly like charmed upbringing, I suppose. Like there wasn't much mm-hmm. chaos besides uh, parental divorce, <laughs> but what's new in the world these days? Um, yeah, it was, you know, good. Went to school uh, in Ireland, uh, which, you know, a fairly cozy country. There isn't much, um, you know, it's fairly like homogenous. Uh, homeland. Yeah, the homeland. Um, so like grew up in the city. Um you know, did the normal stuff like you do, uh, went to college, studied, um, biochemistry, um, mm-hmm. got out of that, couldn't get a job. <laughs> so, uh, the girlfriend at the time, now wife, uh, she moved up to, I'm from down South down in Cork and mm-hmm. she moved up to Dublin, um, for an accountancy, like apprenticeship, I suppose you could call it. And, we were kind of doing the long distance for like two years. And then she was like, you need to shit or get off the pot here. <laughs> Are you moving up to Dublin? And I was running a business at the time. It was a, a gym. Um, and that was just not going anywhere. There was trouble with the landlord outside of my hands kind of thing. And I was just like, oh, look, it's time to pack up and move on. So we were up there for like two years. I was working in like sales and stuff for a scientific uh like instruments company, like selling stuff to uh, universities. So I was like jet setting all over Europe and everyone's like, Oh wow, you get to travel with work. Like that's amazing. You get to see all these like different cities in Europe and stuff. I was like, no, no, I get to see like a shitty hotel room and <laughs> yeah. I just get to go into a lab and say, hi, will you buy my wares? Uh, fittingly ties into the fear merchant. <laughs> I was just trying to sell a load of shit and um, did that for like two years absolutely hated it my uh now wife was like i fucking hate this company uh my apprenticeship's up you know in may we need a change of scenery so we we're like having a few beers one winter's night in december and we we're like what's gonna happen what are we gonna do <laughs> we're like miserable and we said like why don't we move and we settled on australia because like canada's um too cold America is like out of the frying pan into the fire. You, you guys don't seem to have uh, good working conditions. <laughs> you don't give enough <laughs> annual leave. Um, and you're like, yeah, we'll go to Australia. So I've been down here the last three years um, working for a medical device company. Um, yeah. 
working in the regulatory department there, keeping things tidy. And uh, yeah, typical nine to five um, doesn't stimulate me too much, but I enjoy my free time uh, after that. So it's kind of like waiting to hit the lottery, get my little homestead <laughs> going. So that's like the pipe dream at the moment and make podcasts in my spare time. That's kind of where I'm at. But uh, it's kind of funny, like seeing the the life behind the voice sometimes. It's like, oh, that's just like Joe Soap. <laughs> yeah. It could be like me. But yeah, no, just like working away. Nothing too exciting. There are so many people out there who are doing mundane jobs that just never take that step to try something different, even if it's just a hobby. And it, it bothers me. Like I, I talk to people all the time who, amongst my peers, I'm not in any way like under the impression that i'm special but you know they'd be like oh my god whatever yeah you went to europe and you'd like what the fuck dude and how did you do it and i'm like i just fucking sat down and did it until like my fingers bled and that's how it happens like you can't just i i hate it when people are like i wish i could play the guitar i'm like well just fucking play the guitar do it now stop stop whining (laughs) no like i get it because you know there's a lot of people they're like oh yeah i'm gonna go to because you know, it's a really big thing in Ireland for people to go to Australia for a year with the visa. And, you know, there's been tons of people who are like, oh, yeah, like I'm definitely going to go to Canada for a year. I'm definitely going to go to New Zealand. I'm definitely going to go to Australia. And it's like, but why didn't you go? And it's like three years later. And some people are like, oh, I'm saving for that apartment. I'm saving for this house. And, you know, everything is just like put on the long finger. And mm-hmm. we're the kind of couple who were just like, look, if we say we're going to do something, we're going to do it. And people were shocked that we are leaving because we said it like that Christmas. And they're like, yeah, we're going to move to Australia. And they're like, yeah, yeah, you sure are. Like, get lost. And then we were kind of leaving in July. They're like, what? You're you're really going? And it's been three years later. Like, I haven't been back. Um, pandemic notwithstanding, I don't think I would have been back <laughs> anyway. Because um, people are like, oh, why don't you come back for like a visit? And I'm like, I'm not paying like five thousand dollars to have like a cup of tea and or a pint i'm like you can go fly up your own arse <laughs> basically um you know it's just like people need to do stuff i guess like just as you said it's um there's a lot of like dreamers out there i i don't i hate to be disparaging about people but i call them like automatons they're the type of people yeah. who are going to wake up when they're like 40 and have the stereotypical like midlife crisis of like oh my god i've been sleepwalking all through my life they might have like a wife and kids who they don't know not necessarily hate they're just like (laughs) they just wake up and they're like what like i've seen it happen so many times i'm like how you know they're like oh once i retire i'll get to x y and z i'm like but what are you going to do from 20 to 65 like you you have a full life there um because we always like try and you know, like we obviously have like our saving goals and X, Y, and Z, but it's like, but we need that like 15% of the budget to be like, let's go on like a little holiday to like break up the monotony or something. Uh, like you have to kind of treat yourself along the way, not excessively, but it's like do things like, I don't know, life's too short. Like I'm really like a nihilist of like, there's nothing after you die or anything. I'm just like, there's a one life for living. So you might as well like live it. Cause I don't want to be like 65 decrepit and finally get to go on holidays. I'm like, no, I want to be able to like, run up Machu Picchu or something <laughs> if I ever get to South America. It's like I want to be a sprightly uh young fellow while I'm doing the traveling. <laughs> Not an old man. <laughs> People are generally a, a, I would say addicted to security and they just 
are too paralyzed by the fear of giving up that security to ever try anything new. And I, I've been pretty blessed because I've managed to kind of have both for most of my adult life. So it's hard to say. It's not like I was, uh, what's that guy from the guy that like went to Alaska and died in a bus, you know, he just like burned up his credit card and his car and all of his money and his birth certificate and just went crazy and just did whatever he wanted for like a few years. Oh, I haven't heard about this. It's appealing. This guy. Oh, into the wild is the name of the book. Now that I'm thinking there's also a really good movie about it, but yeah, he was just like a, he was graduated business school or something like that or law school. His parents were rich. He had everything going for him and he just said, fuck this. And then he just goes like nuts kayaks down the Colorado river through the grand Canyon travels all around, you know, finds odd jobs here and there enough to get by. And then he's like, I'm going to Alaska. And then he just goes to Alaska and he's like, I'm going to go live out in the wilderness by myself. And he did uh, fairly well for a little while until the winter came. And then he, uh, I believe the river next to him flooded and he couldn't get out when it got oh, too yeah. bad. And, and then he didn't bring a map because he was so goddamn arrogant. <laughs> he's like, I don't need a map. I can do anything. And then if he had brought a map, he would have noticed that about two miles upstream, there was a, a way across. Mm. He could have gotten out, but hey, uh, you live and learn. <laughs> That's all there is to it. Yeah, so exactly. To yeah, no, life is kind of funny. Um, yeah, obviously I'm more adventurous. I'm like the antipode of uh, Ireland at the moment. Um, but yeah, no, I think it's like good. Um, it's just more like with, as I mentioned, like the business and stuff at the time failing and stuff like there was so much stress there. There was like, you know, um, business debt associated with it. And it was just like, boom, boom, boom. So I think like my stress, uh, you know, my paturity gland or something in my brain is just like fried. So I don't get stressed <laughs> anymore. Um, you know, like nothing stresses me. Like I got some good advice from my dad at the time. He was just like, because you know there was like the tax man knocking at the door and like where's our money kind of stuff and i was like oh my god oh my god how are we going to pay them and he just said you know like are they going to come in and kill you and i was like what do you mean he's like are you going to die if you don't pay this today and i was like um no i guess like (laughs) i don't think the tax man's going to shoot me in the head and he was like yeah so relax like you're not going to die and i've like really taken that advice to heart i'm like if you think of a stressful situation and you're like, actually, am I going to die? And you're like, mm, no. And it's like, well, just relax then. Like, what's the worst that can happen? Come back tomorrow. Like, they're not they're not going to do anything. So I'm like, oh, yeah. And especially now with, like, the day-to-day work. Uh, I work, like, field actions and recalls and stuff. So you might get, like, a business manager being like, oh, my God, the defibrillators, they're on recall. Like, they're, you know, the battery's defective, X, Y, and Z. Like, ah, this is, like, terrible. And I pretty much look at like one recall a week every week i'm a team of one and it's meant to be a team of two and a half and i'm just like yeah relax like you know i don't smoke but it'd be like the proverbial like relax man like i got this don't worry it's like tell your tell your customers that it's all about like we're really up on our vigilance and we look after your safety and they're like oh thank god because i used to be in sales as well so i know how to talk to the salespeople. um so like you know, I've worked in call centers and everything. So I've, I've done all sorts of odd jobs. Like I worked in America and New York City for a summer as well, like doing flooring and <laughs> all like... Fuck that. Yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> I've done like all sorts, you know. I've, I've yeah. I can... What's the Rud, Rudyard Kipling um, 
poem it it's like if you can talk with the common man and talk with kings nor lose the common touch sort of thing um i can just like chill with anyone really like i don't know would you say like a, a social chameleon i'm definitely not i'm just like i'm always myself and as you mentioned earlier like i can kind of massage things out of people when i talk to them because i make them feel cozy i suppose i don't really know i haven't talked to myself <laughs> so i don't know how charming i can be whether i'm charming or not i don't know yeah there's there's definitely an x factor to that i i don't want to say oh i'm again like i'm not super special or anything but i clearly i've done a pretty good job of getting people to feel comfortable enough to talk to me about sometimes pretty intimate shit um and i think that's what makes any podcast that's centered around interviewing people really good and special is that you you're not just hearing and then i did this and then i did that it's like there's some humanity to it there's a little bit of soul in there and uh that's a talent it's i don't even know that it's a skill i'm not sure that anyone can like learn how to do that necessarily i couldn't teach a master course on it if my life depended on it yeah yeah because i've i've seen like a lots of podcasts and stuff like go by the wayside that they started off and they had like you know everyone has the greatest idea but i went like said it with a friend before i'm like you know two guys drinking beer podcast is like uh those are always like really crap i'm like oh let's talk about halloween let's talk about the thing let's talk about nightmare on elm street and i'm like yeah but like there's another five thousand podcasts that done that and after 50 episodes you're like pulling up garbage you know like just that's why i sort of pivoted as well because i felt like the wells are running dry or you know like season four like year four i was like oh i'll do a few more like solo episodes like i'll do you know talk about like the rambo series or x y and z and i was like ah i need like a bit of back and forth like i don't like the sound of my own voice it's hard to talk for an hour by yourself like listen to one of your recent uh state of the union address (laughs) but you had a guest on like it's hard just to ramble along and just talk about nothing unless you have a script which i don't like using scripts seems like really uh forced and you sound a bit robotic if you're like reading so anyway um we have to address the the bright light that brought the mother load in our to your podcast so we've recently sort of started talking about video games a bit more specifically doom which is i guess our mutual interest here um absolutely how did that come about yeah um well, it's a bit strange like so it was maybe like in March this year. Um, I was just on like Twitter and I saw Romero Games was like, or maybe it was John Romero himself was like, oh, um, I have a Discord server. And I had just been on Discord for about a year and I wasn't really doing much. I had like my own little small server. And I was like, oh, this is kind of pointless. There isn't many people in it. And, you know, I feel like I'm just talking to an empty room kind of thing. And um started joining like a few mid-sized ones so romero games is the first one and i was just like chatting away in that and i was quite active in that one and then got approached by the moderation team and they were like hey do you want to be a mod and i was like yeah okay that sounds that sounds fun um i enjoy being here don't think it would be anything extra and then maybe another month or two went by and it was kind of like hey do you want to be an admin so i was like yeah, I suppose, like, not going to change much either. So became like an admin there. Um, and it was kind of funny because starting the podcast day one, 
the Romeros, they're in Galway, Ireland. So I knew they were there. And I was like, wow, I'd love to interview those guys. So I'd actually been, I was back and forth. I got into a back and forth with Brenda Romero back in 2016 <laughs> to try and get a date to interview them. And it was like, yeah, what time suits uh, John's away this week? But, you know, whenever. And I emailed them back and I didn't get any response. And I know they're quite busy, so I didn't think anything of it. So it was kind of like in a roundabout way, the podcast, I wouldn't say started because I wanted to talk with them, but it was like definitely I wanted them to be like in the first 10 episodes sort of thing. Um, so it was more like then since that was obviously very doom adjacent um like the romeros kind of hang their hat that they were involved with doom like i won't mince my words and say like it isn't tied to doom and then i was you know bridge burner was there and i was like oh he's like a mod over on the official doom discord um and not through him but through someone else i got introduced to that mod team and they were short a space so I'm also a mod on the official Doom Discord. Um, and that place is very uh, <laughs> full of angry people. <laughs> like yeah. There's lots of uh, silly things being posted, to put it lightly. Um, so that needs a bit of a big mod team. Um, so yeah, and then video games. I was like, look, I want to play a bit more games. I haven't played in years. I just recently got like the xbox series x and last year i spoke with like steven kick of night dive studios he's the ceo and i just i inherently find it really interesting because i play a lot of games as a, a youth um i do really enjoy gaming i always wanted to talk with game developers and more so this year than like bridge burner we we're like chatting away and i was like well you actually are making games so started chatting with him uh as we just mentioned i don't want to beat a dead horse but i did speak with john romero um speaking with you now as well like a doom adjacent podcast and it, mm. it is all centering around doom uh but i wouldn't say it just started for me in april with doom like i've always really enjoyed it um there's a bit of a je ne sais quoi about doom i think because just the music, the sprite work, the gameplay, aesthetically, it just like all fits together and it's still infinitely playable, literally, because there's so many wads and mods and everything that, like my first port was on the Game Boy Advance. Oh. And I thought that was like a one-to-one port because I I didn't know anything when I was young about different ports. I I thought like, you know, everything was one-to-one. And then my... um, uncle-in-law he was giving me doom 2 or he didn't give it to me but at his place he had doom 2 on uh dos so i remember playing the first few levels on that and i was like oh my god that double barrel shotgun super shotgun unbelievable and that was like really interesting and then my friend got the super nintendo port and we played so much of that and we thought that was like one-to-one like unbelievable and I just always like adjacently like was really fascinated by id software like i was really following doom 3 when that was coming out in like 2003 um following like on the gaming magazines and i was like oh my god those graphics like they look so realistic and (laughs) 
I remember like could not wait for the Doom movie to come out in 2005. It was December 2005, I remember, and I had like really crappy phone, but it was like had the poster as like my screensaver and just always fascinated with Doom. So it's always like carried through with me. And then on like the Xbox Live Arcade, they had a port, played so much of that, um, like 2007. And then I really took a back seat until like Doom 2016. Yeah. And that absolutely blew me away. Like I think Doom 2016 is in my top five games of all time. It just completely reinvigorated like first person shooters for me compared to years and years of like military shooters like Call of Duty, which felt like just really rote and formulaic and boring and this was like oh my god because i never played quake or anything up until the re-release this year so i wasn't too familiar with that like really fast-paced sort of gaming and it just blew me away graphics everything i was like this feels like doom in 2016 like it really felt like they transported what doom should have been and they put it up here uh and doom eternal much better game but it's only iterative from doom 2016 so i wouldn't put it like higher than doom 2016 for like the impact and um yeah i've been like kind of following in the background and i'm sure all listening on your side of the show like we all love doom and uh, i don't know it's a bit like i hate like saying like i'm a fan or whatever but it's like kind of cringy but it's such a good franchise i just love the simplicity of like the demons came from hell and you just have to kill them it's something so like visceral and base about it that is archetypical yeah it's like amazing and it does not like obviously in the new dooms there's so much like lore they're trying to pack in it's like you don't need lore it's just like demons came from hell everyone has the idea of like hell like pretty much from like dante's inferno is kind of that vibe um and it just really works yeah it's archetypical as you said I was asked, uh, it was probably like a couple years ago, maybe now. I'm not sure how long ago it was. There's these guys uh, who did a really cool podcast called The Lore Party, and they would essentially dive into not just games, but sometimes just like movies or whatever, and like talk about the, all of the lore and everything that's kind of behind the scenes of it. And they were, they were really good at it. Um, and when Doom Eternal was. So it was about that long ago, I guess, when it was getting ready to come out, they were starting to do a lot of Doom content, and they asked me to come on the show as like a like a guest expert on the the story of Doom. Yeah. And what I ended up kind of bringing to the table was that I was I absolutely despise the way that Doom Eternal handles the Doom lore. It's just like ugh, it's too much. But because yeah, what makes I, it special, I would agree. Was the fact that it was so vague and so mysterious that any, any little nugget you got like down to just like weird shit that John Romero would say online became part of the story and, and the players got to make it up for themselves and like really form it into this giant thing where now, I mean, we started talking about how like commander Keen and BJ Blaskovitz and doom guy and now doom slayer are all technically like a lineage, like yeah. Yeah, yeah. family tree sort of thing going on there. And even quake guy to some extent. And, I don't know. I found that so much more interesting than just talking about, well, according to the thing that you find out in 
level three or whatever. Oh, it's just more explicitly tell just you. more fun. Like it, it's just yeah. it's like any sort of sequelization though, where they're like, oh, we got to expand. Like I think one of the more prime examples recently in just to get away from Doom for a breather is like if anyone has watched like the John Wick franchise, the series oh, of yeah. films with Keanu Reeves. So the first movie was so vague on what the backstory was and every you know your imagination is better than anything they could put on screen john wick 2 they did a little bit more on the lore side of like where he came from and the math like pretty much the assassins guild pretty much and i was like oh yeah okay it's a little bit more and it's like all right and then john wick 3 was like crazy just giving away way too much and you're like oh that's it is is that all like or yeah. and it was the same with the matrix like i was re-watching that recently another keanu reeves vehicle first movie really vague of like what zion is and it was maybe didn't exist or you know there was all these questions of maybe it was another fantasy and then for the next two movies it was like you know kind of a crusty hippie rave party in a cave and you're like mm, what like this is what i thought it was going to be so like to wrap around to doom eternal it was like no i don't need like the you know the ghost king and all these seraphims and whatever like running around i'm like oh i just want to kill demons and listen to heavy metal <laughs> like that's all i want since <laughs> it's, it's uh it's around about halloween time now like that's another good example too so like, the original halloween it to me and i i appreciate zombies take on it but you know that what made Michael Myers so cool is that it was just this super vague, like he's an entity, and then the shape. zombies Halloween makes him into a person. Yeah, and that just while it's very interesting, and I, I enjoyed exploring that part of Michael Myers, it's not scary. And that's this. I don't know if you've seen Halloween Kills yet, but they sort of no, it's not out till um, the twenty eighth here. I gotcha. Yeah. Well, let me know when you see it, and I won't spoil anything for anyone. No, I'm <laughs> I'm actually looking looking to watch that on the thirty first to watch it actually on Halloween. Like Halloween, nice. speaking over in the the month of the Spooktober, uh, <laughs> I love Halloween. Uh, it's originally an Irish um, festival, Samhain, yeah. So um, yeah, I love it. Like in Ireland, it's quite big, but I make a bigger deal of it. We all like I actually have a a pumpkin ready to be carved <laughs> uh australians don't do it too much because it's like the southern hemisphere so it gets like brighter and hotter in yeah. october like we're in the middle of spring now so people are like oh we don't do halloween i was speaking to one of my colleagues he was like oh we shut the doors and turn off the lights like we don't want any kids coming around i'm like but it's trick-or-treating <laughs> he was i was like you have the wrong festival you're not scrooge <laughs> by a humbug but um yeah, I love Halloween as a quick aside. I, I love the uh, I love both aspects of it, like the original sort of northern European pagan backstory to what it really is and all that. It's very much like a it's in my head all the time. But I also loved when I was a kid dressing up as Gene Simmons and carrying a bass guitar around and like splattering blood on people out of my mouth and whatever. Like that was hilarious. And I, and I liked candy when I was a kid, too. So that was it's pretty dope. America, we, we do Halloween hard. We go real hard on Halloween. But well, it's a co- like anything else, it's a commercial holiday. Yeah, like, <laughs> I mean, you know all the depictions of Halloween in, like, media where it's pretty much, like, New England, all the autumnal colors. 
like I want to do that. I want to go around and see. I don't know is you know like those movies like where there's hundreds of kids in costume like walking on the streets. I don't know is that actually real, um, but I'd love yes. to kind of see it. Yeah, no, I'd like we I, would. Uh, like I said, we grew up kind of like rural and poor, so we would drive to the rich neighborhood for Halloween too. We'd go, yeah. Like, yeah, these people give away full bars, bro. Yeah, 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 yeah. Shit. <laughs> yeah. Because there wasn't much kids on my street, um, so like it might only be you know, myself and my sister and maybe like two other kids, but everyone made an effort though. Cause they were like, Oh, these are the two or three kids who go around on the street. So, um, later on then we used to go to like my friend's house and not many trick or treaters, I guess. I guess mm-hmm. it was like really cold in October. I don't know. It was strange. And for a while there, it was like, you know, three or four years in a row wearing like the scream mask, the ghost face. <laughs> it was like very popular but yeah like because we used to do all the traditional stuff like bobbing for apples and all those (laughs) kind of little parlor games i suppose um but yeah no it's really fun halloween is a great time and it does tie in to like quake and everything like that um that's all like lovecraftian and all spooky things because halloween like sowing harvest festival uh, and it's meant to be like the thinning of the veil because it's when night overtakes the light. Um, so it's where like ghosts and ghoulies are like most active because they can come through the veil, like come through the void sort of thing. Um, right. It's kind of where it comes from. And we all dress up and carve pumpkins to kind of scare away those spirits, like back to the underworld, I suppose. And um, that's just always like a fascinating take on it because um just a little more history like halloween night in irish is eha sowen so it's like halloween night but november in irish is sowen so it's like the night before november yeah. um which is where it gets its name so i know in a few of the halloween movies they came up with a character sam hayne just like yep. samuel hayne <laughs> but it's like sowen is <laughs> that it what it actually sounds for. It, so. it gets called Sam Hain and at least in American English all the time, but it's also from the, there's a rock band called Sam Hain and they called it, they, they pronounced it that way, which was a uh, Glenn Danzig's band after the misfits, mm. um, which they kicked ass, but <laughs> regardless. Yeah, no, it's um, like, I love it. I could talk about Halloween all day, every day. Like the last six years I've done, like try to do 31 horror movies in 31 days it's like a thing mm-hmm. lots of people do online so this year's theme is no escape because uh, last year's theme was the pandemic and uh we're still in like lockdown here so it's all like movies like escape room or you know uh final destination and stuff i've been doing the yeah. last couple of uh, weeks so if you want to follow that uh follow at the fear merchant on twitter for until the end of the month that's at Fear Merchant. <laughs> yeah. So we go get my plugs in. I, I Is forget. it the Fear Merchant or it, just Fear Merchant? It's the the Fear Merchant. The, the definitive. The Fear Merchant. Yeah. I'm the only Fear Merchant in town. I, I don't know if it's just a, a matter of how long you've been doing it or whatever, but you've, you've been really successful on social media, at least, at least compared to, to us and our little thing. It took me two years to get like a thousand followers. Hmm. Yeah, it used to be easier back in the day. So, um, 
definitely dropped off like it used to be way higher um but i've i've kind of been pulling back from social media a lot um around like probably two years ago it was just like got really burnt out it was around the time when i just moved down to australia and i was like really trying to grow the brand and i felt like i was completely spinning the wheels like on a treadmill kind of thing and i was like this is going nowhere that i was just like i'm just going to unfollow like you know loads of people x y z just like really cut back because i was getting no results from it and i was more Mm -hmm. if i was just i think the key to success and it's very intangible and i wouldn't say by any means i'm successful but it's more like if you can get people to say i'm listening to this podcast i really like it you should have a listen like that's how you grow i don't think anyone's like really grown from like social media because there's loads of podcast accounts and they might even one yesterday was like hey like you know just new to twitter you know joined twitter in september 2021 and they're like hey episode two is out like have a listen i'm like i know you're just two guys drinking beer podcast like i'm i'm not listening to that (laughs) you know and i don't know i've never clicked the podcast from just seeing it on twitter just personally so uh i have to think of it the other way around that no one's going to listen to me on Twitter. It's handy just to get the links out there, but I feel it's like shouting out the window sometimes. I think it's just creating a body of work. So it's like if someone finds in the keep on Twitter and then they look, you know, what is this? And then they see what it is. Then that'll, you know, it's like the rule of seven in marketing. Like the more they see it, the more they're likely to remember it and the more they're likely to quote buy it or, you know, go check it out. Yeah. And it's also important to note that in the keeps not just, the podcast right so like we're putting up our game trailers and you know whatever it's the podcast is the vast majority of our output at this point but you know when we start shipping games it'll it'll be more like hopefully like the new blood twitter you know something like that yeah because um um, we're definitely meandering today which is usually good good for us but maybe not good for listeners but you're working uh with 3d realms which is you know for mm -hmm. those who don't know my end like that is a name, name a staple name in the the boomer shooter realm, like with Duke Nukem and the likes. Um, how did you come to working with them all the way over in Arizona? Um, well, a while back, I was trying my best to basically, you know, I was doing a lot of boomer shooter stuff on the podcast, and I ended up getting. I think Fred maybe came first, either him or Stephen kick one of the two, but uh, a young lady who is a fan of the show and also really helpful in our discord community and everything. She found him at PAX Fred Schreiber being the CEO of 3d realms. Now at the time, I think he was the vice president, but that's changed. And she walked up to him and said like, Hey, you should be on this podcast, you know, probably amongst other conversation that went on there. And he was like, yeah, sure. Whatever. Tell him to send me a message. So I did, you know, like, that sounds awesome. I'd love to interview Fred. He's a fucking hero in in the world of game development. And, uh, so I interviewed him and that was it. And it was really cool. And I very much enjoyed him having me as a guest. And then, uh, I think a few months go by and he had dreamed up this idea of what would become realms deep. Yeah. Which is, you know, 3d realms has their own for the past two years now, um, convention it's mostly online because you know pandemic shit but hopefully that'll change in the next year or so and he was like uh we wanted to like interview all these amazing 
people like John Romero and American McGee and Tim Willits and John St. John and Chuck Jones and I think Cliffy B. And yeah, just, I mean, how was I going to say no to that? Like, fuck yeah, I'll produce those interviews. You, Absolutely. You just tell me when. Give me the context so, uh, after Ty. <laughs> so, so yeah, we, we, we do that. And over the course of the planning period, I sort of just became the de facto recruiter of the indie games, right? Cause they were going to mm. show off all the stuff from new blood and uh, night dive. And yep. d- d- I think destruction, destructive creations running with scissors. But I was just like, uh, yeah, I know all these like really great indie developers who have games that I think fit into this really well. And then I ended up managing all of that. And I think that that just proved that I had management skills. And then I, uh, over the past year or so got into, I would say project management in games anyway, because I'm working on Call of Seregnar with Damian and those guys. And then I brought them under the in the keep umbrella. And then we started making our own game called stellar Valkyrie, which is another doom engine uh, shooter. Mm-hmm. And uh, by that point I'm like, well, I have a, I, I don't have anything published yet, but I have a body of work that says like, I can do this. So when I flew to Denmark this past summer for this year's realm steep, I was far more into like the actual management of how the convention was going to go anyway. And uh, at that point, Fred and I had a discussion and he was like, I think we could really use you here. So I came back home and I applied for this program in the military that allows you to basically do like an internship while the military pays for it. And you can go work full time for another company for up to six months. Right. So that, yeah. So that you don't end up homeless on the streets when you get out. Yeah. Yeah. So it, it worked. My commander thought it was a great idea, um, or at least he <laughs> stomached it. So, yeah, for the past couple of weeks, I've been kind of onboarding and learning how they do business, how their project management stuff works, and uh, I'm really enjoying it. And I think it's not only you know amazing that I get to walk away and have a job when I get out, but also that I get this opportunity. I, got, I never went to college. Like, I went to college for like one class, and I was like, fuck this. This is lame. I'm going to get paid to just continue to advance my skills as a, as a producer for games, which is what I want to do anyway. Yeah. You're pretty epic. A hundred grand richer from not going to college in the States by uh, (laughs) all accounts. Yes, of course. And (laughs) better for it. I'm sure. Like sounds like Uh, dream job. Yeah. No, cause like it kind of sounds, you're almost like very similar to the bizarre sort of concept of like getting indie people and show their wares and now you've managed to actually get a job out of it which is amazing especially with 3d realms like such a well-known name i'd say you're kind of over the moon with that well i would say that 3d realms is mostly made of everyone who works there are people who were modders or indie game developers before they came to work there i mean that's how you get into the game anybody out there who thinks that you get into the game industry by going to college for a bachelor's degree in video games is i'm not saying you won't find work but you're not gonna that's not gonna be the reason. You know, it's like any any job really, especially in software of any kind. You're Yeah, need your body or work. They care about what you could do. Yeah. They mm. don't care about what you <laughs> what your degree says. Yeah, and, exactly. Uh, and Fred, you know, he got his start from making uh, Duke Nukem reloaded, which he pitched to 3D Realms way back in the day, while Duke Forever was about to come out, so they, you know, shot it down and it didn't happen. 
And then, you know, when they went out of business because of how shitty their game was, he bought the company. This <laughs> <laughs> is <was> two fingers. <laughs> um, Duke Nukem Forever wasn't that bad. It was like six out of ten. I played, well, uh, it, was, played it on Xbox. It was a big enough failure financially that uh, they went out. <laughs> and then Randy Pitchford bought the Duke Nukem IP and the rest is history. But, you know, we'll see where that goes from now. And I think that there's there's a lot of hope in the in the world for uh, modders and indie game developers to, you know, kind of rise to the top because that those are the people doing the hard work. And I think that it was very important. It was ex- made explicitly important to me when we were planning Realm Steep that Fred wanted to show off indie games big time. And it's the only convention that I'm aware of really where um, you, it's not like E3, you know, nobody's paying to get in. It's like, this is just him putting out his generosity. It's good marketing for him and all the other companies involved in it. And for every single one of these indie guys, it's like a huge opportunity for them to get their name out there to sell their game and, you know, network with people. And I love that part of it. Oh, absolutely. Cause I think it's definitely getting into like a golden age. I think I mentioned this with bridge burner that like doom now is going to be 30 years old in like two years time. We'll say, mm-hmm. um, that the likes of us and you know like late 20s early 30s sort of uh, you know pretty much like 25 to 35 bracket it's just in the time frame now where like we grew up with these games and now we're old enough to make them so it's yep. like a new i suppose if it was the golden age it would be in the silver age how does it work probably the golden age because there's more people mm-hmm. now there's more people played them to make them than there was making them at the start so it's a really good time to play because i hadn't played quake until this year and that was kind of like really? wow that was like really fun to play i was like i get it i get why like dusk and stuff is coming out because it's so fun i'm like it's so much more fun than playing like realistic shooters and stuff and cover shooters and it's just like no i just want to run around and gib things <laughs> it's just so visceral and i think it's just going yeah. back to the simplicity we were saying of like the original doom of just like the sprite work the music the gore just like oh this just hits on your, your absolute lizard brain of just being like wow i just love doing this and some of the stuff that i've seen coming out through realms deep and everything i'm like yeah they're all in a certain engine but you know everything is in unreal engine but there's so many different games everything is in right. unity there's so many different games even the bloody like Nintendo game kit developer, like people are coming up with crazy stuff in that that game. So I'm like, just because it's in the Doom engine, I think a lot of people pass it off as, oh, that's just you put a HUD skin over like the base game or something. I'm like, no, 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 it's it's a brand new game. Like you can't discount it. Um, and I think the because I was ignorant like that for a while until I was in the scene the last few months. Just I actually thought it was just like, oh yeah, that's just you know, you're modding the base game. Uh, but yeah, I was definitely wrong. I'm like getting to chat and with really cool people and just, yeah. you know, even like the multiplayer side of things, uh, you know, the source port wars and all these things that I'm like <laughs> learning about. I'm like, can't we all just get along and just enjoy it? Like I'm fairly diplomatic when it comes to things like I don't have a strong opinion either way. I'm just like, if it works, if it's fun, if it has a community, and um, I think what people are growing 
is fantastic like within the community like what you do uh, interviewing all the indie developers you're like literally in 3d realms now doing realms deep the more we can like grow the network as you said like kind of gives me like hope because there was like a lot of doom and gloom <laughs> not to use the word doom <laughs> a lot of doom and gloom like the last two years with the pandemic and stuff but when you see like just people creating and just trooping on and building community like i think community is probably one of the things that's lacking the most these days for people and i definitely i wouldn't say like i've found my place or anything but i definitely feel cozy uh in the embrace of the boomer shooter community as a whole um i think it's generally speaking a really nice place to be and i think if anyone's listening and you're interested in just joining the discussion there's plenty of discords plenty happening on twitter everyone's really approachable like um you know Stephen kick of night dive he's one of the chillest dudes really active on twitter and stuff you can just pretty much message him and be like do you want an interview and i think he pretty much says yes to everyone <laughs> he's a guerrilla marketing kind of guy um and just things like that i'm just like it has been building like to go back to one of your earlier questions of like how did you get into just interviewing gaming people it's like because they're really chill and they pretty much say <laughs> yes because did like g-man and he was like oh you should speak with Stephen kick i was like all right and it was it was by no means an introduction through g-man he i just messaged Stephen kick and he was like yeah sure and i was like wow this is easy um and yeah i like i'm gonna do more it's just with the time zones like as you saw yourself this week like it has to be you know saturday or sunday morning i, I try to keep people's weekends as like absolutely sacrosanct because they're pretty much sacrosanct for me. So it's like, oh, are you available like on Friday afternoon? Is pretty much the only time slot. Like really hamstrung by time zones because obviously working nine to five, I can't uh, just slot it in the middle of my week and stuff. So it's kind of tough to get the interviews in. But I'm, I'm glad we got part, to chat today. Part of me has, uh, has a desire to be that way but in reality i'm just like anytime any day I'll, I will wake up or go to sleep or whatever the fuck i'll ruin my life to try to get well that, the that's, that I that's the get. difference that's the difference because yeah. we're both the hosts so we accommodated each other this week um mm-hmm. but i try not to get anyone's weekend unless they're open to it um and that's really been a struggle for me to get interviews like i've definitely had a few people fall off and i've had quote unquote like bigger names and stuff like fall through because of like timing and stuff so it's never worth mentioning yeah. the fish that you didn't catch <laughs> so i i have i've been trying to get g-man to do something for realms deep for two years in a row and you know he's just a busy motherfucker from what i can tell he's like yeah sure he's involved in the conversation yeah he's involved <laughs> in that new first person shooter documentary which i was like yep. what the hell how did he get on that roster like um creator vc that company um way before the first person shooter one um they did like the 80s horror uh in search of darkness part one and two um i had those guys on the show for realms deep yeah yeah because were you speaking with david weiner at all um the director for that robin oh robin wright um, yeah robin block oh block sorry robin white's that actress (laughs) robin block yeah he's the i think he's the owner of it isn't he Mm-hmm. yeah so from what i understand but even before that david weiner was the director for that that was back in the 
he was the editor for um, Famous Monsters of Filmland magazine. And I had him on the show and I've had him on multiple times. We just hit it off. So it's like the horror, the FPS and horror and the indie horror and everything. It's all like tying in together. Yeah. Um, kind of crazy that it's all connected really online. Like for creator VC to the FPS who are speaking with G-Man, John Romero, the other directors were in search of darkness who I also had on like, and I, I'm, I'm by no means like Joe Rogan, <laughs> kind of a small enough outfit, but it's like you just see the same names popping up when you're in scenes, I guess. Do you find it the same? Yeah, I think that's the beauty of networking is like kind of uncovering those little connecting trails that are linking everyone together because, you know, like it, it's literally, I could trace it back. My career trajectory, at least through the podcast, is like because I talked to, Andrew Holschult at QuakeCon, I was then able to, he's so like well-liked and known and involved in so many different companies and indie games and everything that is like, he knows everyone. And so once I ask someone like David Szymanski who made Dusk, I'm like, Hey, would you like to be on the show? And I'm like, and before you make a decision, please look back through the catalog and see if it's something that you are interested in doing at all. And he's like, Oh, you had Andrew on. I love Andrew. Yeah, we'll do it. And like, and that has happened so many times since then. Um, so, I mean, and then when you're talking to somebody who's like mid tier or, or I would say like beginning, sometimes, they, you know, they're really hesitant to do these things, but I'm like, and, and I don't mean for this to sound like a jackass, but like you kind of be an idiot to not be on the same platform as your heroes. And if they go back through the catalog and they see John Romero, Fred Schreiber, David Oshry, uh, like just, you'd be, you'd be nuts to not take that opportunity to get some good marketing in. And that, that's kind of how it happens. And yeah. Cause yeah. I, I'm not too sure does it go back to what we were saying of just like you need to kind of just take a punt I guess because I imagine when you do reach out to people they're like do you want to do an interview like there actually isn't that many people asking the same through like a fear yep. um, it's the pretty girl effect yeah it is because she's so she's so hot that guys are too intimidated to ask her out so yeah, she never gets asked I, a prom. I, I think that's <laughs> how it sort of works and it just just ask the question, like to quote Wayne Gretzky, <laughs> you miss a hundred percent of the shots you don't take. And that's never more true than if you don't ask her, maybe you have to ask, you know, every couple of months or something, the email could have got lost or you have oh, to yeah. kind of do your different strikes at different times. Um, it's, People uh, will ask me often, like, how did you get this person on the show? And I'm like, you know what? When it's 3 a.m. and I've had a few beers, that's, I don't give a shit if I don't message me back. That's my message. That's my method as well. Like if on Twitter after a few beers, I'm like, now I have the courage to message like, hey, bitch, <laughs> get on the show. And exactly. uh, that's worked out a lot for me. So uh, I wouldn't take my our advice. It's a collective advice here. Um, but yeah, no, it definitely helps a few times. I sent a few cringy messages before that got left on red. <laughs> I'm like, oh no. Oh no. <laughs> I've I've written some very very questionable emails. Yeah, I'm like, I like, love you, baby. <laughs> pour, pouring my heart out to someone yeah. like that. I messaged uh, Chris Ryan. I don't know if you've ever listened to Tangentially Speaking podcast. I have not. This is unrelated to our podcast. He's a really really great podcaster. I really love his show. But he he oftentimes will read short stories or poems that people send him on the show. So I sent him like the first draft of a short story I wrote 
and and like with another additional paragraph of like i'm just such a big like all that kind of shit and like well no wonder he didn't message me back what the who the fuck does that like but it's just not having the fear i think that's important because you know like you said you miss 100 percent of the shots you don't take and i will take every single shot i can because honestly i just when i see someone who's like working on something that i really admire and i think that what they're doing is special like it's worth it to try the best i can to connect I don't yeah. see any reason not to. No, absolutely. So I am curious when you, when you sit down to interview someone, how do you like, is there a process to that? Do you sit down and research every detail of them beforehand or do you just kind of wing it and see what you find throughout? Um, it really depends. Um, mm-hmm. At the start when it was the independent people, um, mm-hmm. largely the stuff we were talking about was like, literally their first thing they've ever produced so Mm -hmm. that was kind of they're really like protective of that um and i'm i'm never a gotcha interviewer i'm not about that at all um i'm all about the networking as we were talking about i want to i don't burn bridges at all um (laughs) (laughs) to drop that phrase um i always keep the door open i'm very diplomatic with everything um i as far as I know, don't have any enemies. I try not to make any. Um, I am not quick to anger, be rash or anything. Um, so when, when I'm talking with those guys at the start, it was just teasing it out. I'm like, yeah, how do you get into it? What do you do? Much like I asked you, like, what, like, who are you basically? How did you get to this point? And that's sort of how I've operated. And then if it's someone like a little bit bigger, like I had on, um have you ever seen like cube that horror movie no but my friend ben was telling me that i needed to watch it because he he has some kind of crazy idea about yeah so there's like cube and have you seen the witch that was spelled with two v's i have seen witch yeah yeah so the composer for those two mark corvin um Mm. i was like do you know what he's on twitter i'll get his email address emailed him i was like hey mark loved your work in X, Y, Z. And he came back being like, yeah, sure, do a podcast. And I was just like chatting away with him. Seemed like a really chill guy. And I just asked him at the end, I was like, Mark, why why did you want to do the podcast? And he was just like, oh, you just asked really nicely. Um, sounded good. <laughs> and we just like went through like, again, like what you do, like how many instruments do you have, what, what you like playing. And he, if for anyone listening, you try and look up the apprehension engine. He came up with this demonic um instrument for like um movie scores you'll definitely know the sounds and through the process then like as maybe people get bigger like i look through other interviews and i might listen to like one or two and if it's like everyone doing the same thing like oh tell us about that really famous thing that you did and say like, oh look i'm not going to ask about that i want to try and tease out other things that maybe people haven't heard and maybe they've answered it on, you know, the other hundred interviews I didn't listen to. Um, but I just want to know these things. Um, it's, it's not about the audience when I'm talking. Um, I don't normally do like listener questions cause normally they're really like mundane and they're not in the mindset of doing the interview. And I, I feel like listener questions can be really out of place sometimes, um, on the floor of the conversation 
Uh, I definitely just like to have a conversation. So I might have like a few touch points that I want to ask. Um, and then if they say something like a little nugget that I want to pull a little bit more, I'll dive into it. Um, like for some interviews, it might be like a two hour time slot, but they're really busy. And they say like, I can actually only do an hour. So mentally there's like 10 questions we'll say, and there might be that that might turn into 20 questions through pulling the threads, but then mentally I have to like chop it down to like, okay, this is the hour. So we're doing like the turbo mode of like, I'll cut these questions. I'll cut the follow-ups. Um, Cause I don't know, do people like listening to all the filler or not? Maybe some people like the snappy 30, 40 minutes, highly produced. Some people like the three hours, absolutely raw where you hear like the dogs barking and the helicopters in the background and the fire engine. Um, so I just try and have a conversation. I rarely edit out anything unless, you know, we have like a brain fart or, you know, the cat comes in and knocks over the mic or, you know, anything like that. It's just like, I try and have it as close to the conversation as we had. Uh, yep. Very rarely am I asked to cut something out because, as I said, I'm not a gotcha person. Um, but sometimes it's like, can you please edit that out? I think that will cause me hassle. And that's all fine. I'm not like, no, this is mine now to put out. And because, you know, who's, am I going to tag like, you know, TMZ or the Daily Mail or something like, who's going to want to get this nugget from relatively, you know, I don't, I don't think I've had any superstars on, we'll say like actual, you know, Scarlett Johansson or anything like that. (laughs) It's, um, like who why would i do this to people so it's normally just like a conversation um what about you like what's your sort of thought process when sitting down i'll say there is some difference in how much i prepare based on who it is like if i'm gonna have someone on who i know I, i just know them or i know their body of work like really really well i don't do any preparation i just show up with a beer and i'm like let's go mm-hmm and see what happens. And I, I hate time constraints. I mean, somebody said like, I only have an hour, which is fine. I get that. That's part of the business. But I like, I really, for my mental health, need the conversation to flow and go its natural course. Yeah. I don't know why it's like an obsession of mine, but I just don't like those, you know, okay, well, well, this is an hour and we're going to wrap it up. Cause I always feel like a conversation, unless it's with someone that you already really know anyway, doesn't really start flowing until about maybe 45 minutes in sometimes longer, you know, to, to get someone to really drop their guard and just be a person instead. And that's why I encourage like, Hey, if you want to drink a beer, you do it. You need to smoke a joint. I don't care. Do it while we're talking, whatever gets you comfortable and not just putting this, you know, guard up. I I noticed that a bit in your interview with uh, Stephen kick, because in the beginning, it starts off very similar to the way that he, he was when he was on in the keep where it's, you know, the same sort of, you know, well, I started the company because we were on this trip in Mexico. Yeah, it's very and all, you know, all that rehearsed. Deal. Yeah. Well, but I mean, that's his story, you know, and he said it so many times that, it, but after that, then you started doing that massaging thing where you get all the, the deep, cool thoughts out of them. And that's, that's awesome, but it takes some time. Um, I'd say like there are some that I have done a lot of research for specifically because I just wanted to make sure that I wasn't going to fuck anything up or that I, you mm. know, that I had some insight onto how does this person think that way we can kind of hit the ground running. Uh, a good example of that would have been like, uh, I had disaster piece on the show one time and he was amazing, but 
I listened to like hours and hours and hours of like speeches that he's given at different gaming conventions about, you know, music composition and sound design. And I just wanted to make sure that I like had some understanding of what it is that he does because sound design is such a bizarre business to be in, especially in video games. Um, and I was also a huge fan of his, like I, I loved the soundtrack to it follows. I literally like just, I remember sitting in a room with my friend who'd bought it on a vinyl record and just like, this is the most amazing horror soundtrack I've ever heard. Yeah. Good movie so too. That. Yeah. And uh, one of the things that you said a few minutes ago that kind of hit me was that this insistence on being really open and honest with your guest and like, you know, accommodating them because if they say something they wish they hadn't said and you just do them that favor to you know ah, yeah we'll clean that up again you're not burning a bridge they're going to respect you and they're going to like look at you as like they'll probably come back at some point you know and mm. when they do another big damn project that might get you more people listening to your show and they say this is one of the places where i feel comfortable marketing my shit it's going to be good for you um it's it's a very uh what, karma sort of concept in my head it is one yeah. thing that happened recently was Somebody on Twitter was harassing Sergeant Mark IV, saying like you did all these horrible things in the pe- brutal Doom guy for people who are not tracking listening. Um, and then his response to them was literally to, he took the link to his appearance on In the Keep and said you obviously didn't listen to this, and mm. that was the end of it. Yeah, and that made me really proud. I was like that that means I did my job well. If he feels comfortable doing that, yeah, I guess as an interviewer. And you did a great job of that episode. And for any of your new listeners or my guys, um, just even for like a little piece of internet history, I think it's kind of important that people listen to that. You really came in there unbiased, I felt. Um, And I think that's like a key thing when you're interviewing because you need to just, you know, separate the art from the artist, really. I was talking about this with my wife yesterday. I was just like, I love a good Kevin Spacey movie, but he's a bit of a piece of work uh, <laughs> outside of the movies, you know, like just let people, yeah, let, let people speak <laughs> for what they are. I wouldn't talk to Kevin Spacey now, but maybe I would, maybe that would be like <laughs> funny to have I could him. Try it. I think I could try it, but I don't, I don't think that I would be able to just like pretend like what happened didn't happen. If that makes sense. Like, but I think the characters he plays just as a quick aside, like, the fact he is such a creeper and a piece of work, I'm like, oh no, you're really selling me on this because you are a creep. It nearly makes his appearances better. <laughs> Maybe I'm like really macabre <laughs> with that. But um, no, I, I think just with the interviews, it's good to be kind of, at least have the appearance of being unbiased and don't don't waste your questions, I think, is like a really big mm-hmm. one because um. I just like to keep things open-ended and if people want to answer, sometimes I might wrap back around if I, you know, quote unquote, like wasn't happy with their answer. I might try and phrase it another way just in case they weren't on the same wavelength as me with the question. Cause sometimes mm. it might just be a really quick one. And I'm like, no, no, like, you know, just to go back with this, like blah, 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 you know, change the question a bit. Um, yeah. I can't really think of too many examples. Like, you know, I had one guy on before, probably one of my favorite chats. He's like an ex-CIA operator. Um, <laughs> his name was Basil Baz. So it was like Basil Baz on the bazaar. <laughs> it was quite a mouthful. It's a badass. Um, it's but, a very badass name. Yeah, but it was it was crazy because we were watching like a show 
and he was just like a random background character that like appeared every five episodes like barely any voice lines and i was like this guy looks like a badass i was like i'm gonna see can i track him down (laughs) and it turned out then he's like ex-cia he rescues children from like kidnappers and stuff like all around the states and i'm like oh my god like he's just a random background character in this show um the blacklist actually he was like a mercenary and i'm like what the hell like what's this world of it's kind of when you find out when you're young that like other people actually have their own living life and consciousness. Like there's so much more happening outside your own bubble. I'm like, yeah, if he's just a background character, like what's, what's everyone else's like backstory. So it's kind of what you were saying earlier. Like you appreciate where I just talked to like the man on the street. Cause it could be like, Oh, Hey, you like sell apples. And it's like, Oh yeah, but I'm like um, a veteran and I did X amount of tours. And you're like, what? Like, everyone has their own like secret story i think and that's what i try and like tease out of people i guess this is what i'm getting at the chances are that the the guy walking down the street is far more interesting than like the person in your mind who you think is super interesting mm-hmm. right they're and they've never told their story half the time you know they have so much more to say and it's just like waiting to come out of them you never know and and as you said, like I, I love when I talk to someone and I realize that they have this entire separate life that is completely unrelated to what I thought was their, you know, their magnum opus or their what they're known for. Yeah, yeah, and, that's what I love trying to get out. It's like, oh yeah, you're known for this, but like, you know, what have you been doing the other thirty years? Or there's always more to the story, I guess. I think it's uh it's about time for you to go hang out with your sister brother. I think so. <laughs> your sister brother. Your sister comma brother. Yes. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> no, uh, I know I said I hate time constraints, but I will respect yours because you've been so good to me and, and you woke up super early for this. So this is this has been really cool and I think we should try to do it sometime again in the future. No, no, definitely. Um simul simul cast. I don't know, you'll probably release it sooner than I'll have time to edit. <laughs> so maybe it'll be oh, a staggered I'll, cast. I've got like a month's worth of podcasts sitting uh there waiting to be released. So you just tell me what date and uh we'll okay. stamp yeah, it together. I'll get the edit done as soon as so. <laughs> um yeah, who wants to who wants to wrap up the podcast then? I love you, the drowned god Cathala loves you, and until next time. Stay in the bazaar. Big thank you to Richard for coming on the show, man. What a great experience just getting to pick his brain and and see how someone with obviously years more podcasting experience than myself goes about doing their business and and just talking games, man, talking movies, talking all life. I, I really love that shit, man. I hope you go check out the Bizarre Cast. It is really good. He's got a lot of fantastic guests, many of which that we've uh, mentioned on here, and just good content in general. Show him some love from the Drown God. I gotta say thank you to all of our supporters. Uh, Shannon, Ben, Bridge, Anthony, Mike, Zan, Lord Revan, Fred, Brandy, Jack, Robert, Graceless Dragon, Red Eyes, Brad, Dots, Moose, Paul, the entire Flam Fam. Rock Simon and Immorpher, I love all of you and thank you for uh, keeping the lights on here at In the Keep uh, podcast. You know, I'll, I'll never be able to say thank you enough to you guys. I 
implore anyone listening to this who is interested in In The Keep and enjoyed this episode, maybe you're new because you're here from the Bizarre Cast side of things, yeah, definitely uh, go to InTheKeep.com. There's all kinds of ways that you can get involved in the community, like joining the Discord and following on Twitter and all that nonsense. You can also head over to our merch tab if you want to grab some swag. We got that. And, of course, there's a support thing, and I'll leave your name off like everyone else. You'll get uh, early episodes of the podcast and uh, a little bit more interaction, a chance to ask a question for certain guests and all that kind of thing. Whatever I can do to make your life a little better for uh, helping us out. I will uh, <laughs> I'll reach around my back, grab my elbow, and uh, try to do my very best to make you all happy supporters. It makes me happy when you're happy. That's it for me this week. I love you. The Drowned God Katala loves you. And until next time, stay in the motherfucking keep. <laughs>